Is that okay? Go ahead, don't let it stop you. No, we don't want to hold you too long. How many are excited for Christmas? All right, like three of you. Come on, that's a, that's a lie. You at church, you're like, I can't be honest. Listen, I, I, if I was honest, man, I'm into Christmas for all the wrong reasons, okay? Let's just, I'm a big Christmas buff, for lack of better words. I love the season, and it's not necessarily all because of Jesus. You know, I've got to be honest. I'll, you know, work with me. You're, you guys are already terrified. I'd already, I already scared you the first. You, you know, you, know you, you, you're feeling the same. You like those gifts. Come on, come on. But it's a great season, isn't it? Um, we haven't been able to, as a church, really uh, um, talk that much, um, given the season that we're in in Advent, that, about the gospel, about Jesus, what it all means. And so I hope to do a little bit of that this morning, as well as my good friend John Cho, who's going to add to the conversation next Sunday. Yeah, you can put your hands together. John Cho's all right, man. Yeah. We're blessed to have um, great communicators, um, passionate faith-filled people, and so we're going to give John an opportunity to add to the conversation um, in this Advent season. And then, um, I don't think the announcement was made, but I'll make it, Um, Christmas Eve, uh, 5 o'clock, can you put the slide up, the Christmas Eve service, do we even have somebody to put the slide up? Okay. Nope, that's not it. Yeah, there it is. I don't know if this announcement was made. Listen, we know a lot of you guys are, are leaving for the holidays, going back home, and um, maybe you're even locals, and uh, the thought of coming somewhere uh, Christmas Eve scares you. Um, it does me. I've got to be honest. I'm the pastor. I'm like, who wants to go out on Christmas Eve? I want to be like fire, you know, in, in the mode. Um, you know, uh, but I want to encourage you guys to come out and be with us. It's going to be a great time. If you're in the city, we'll have food. Uh, we'll have great music that's going to be sung in different languages. Um, there's, uh, uh, kids are doing some quick presentation. It's just going to be a good time. Listen, here's the thing. We're going to move it very fast, okay? It's not going to be like we're going to hang out for like three hours, all right? We're going to, it's going to be just a, a, a great time of fellowship, but it's going to feel very fast so that you guys can get back home, back into that uh, Christmas spirit, uh, so to speak. Um, so come out for it. Come be with us and then get on with your Christmas festivities. Um, open with me to the book of John, the gospel of John. We're going to take one verse. Actually, it's just such a, such a short verse. You probably don't even have to turn there, but if you do, um, it's John chapter 1, verse 29. John um, 1, 29. You know, I was praying. Uh, I always seem to be or feel a little bit out of the element when it comes to these kind of seasons, um, meaning Christmas and Easter is always a bit of pressure for Pastor Daryl, if you would. Um, I always just think, like, God, what, what do you want me to preach? You know, of course, I get the, the concept of the season that we are in as Christians, but what is it, what is it that I need to touch upon? I think for Easter, I, I preached a, a, a sad message. It wasn't a happy one at all. It was like, it was, it was actually titled, The Things Jesus Said When Large Crowds Surrounded Him. Have you ever read what Jesus said to large crowds? <laughs> you know, when he had multitudes of people. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. It's not necessarily a, a church building 101. You know, if you're a pastor, he says some pretty hard-hitting stuff. And um, I hope to be light, but in a sense, this is going to be hard-hitting. But in another sense, it's going to be a reminder for some of us to, um, once again, I guess, um, capture the essence of the gospel, the 
the, what it means, you know. We get so familiar. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I get, I've become uh, many times have noticed me being very familiar uh, where I, I, I don't regularly like, pause and, and keep my mind on the specifics of what Christ did for me. <laughs> I mean, you got to as a Christian. It's so fundamental and foundational that we, um, that we make uh, throughout our day, throughout our week, an effort to ponder what Christ did for us. And this is what I hope to do. So here's John the Baptist. How many are familiar with John the Baptist? All right, John the Baptist, long-haired, kind of weird guy out in the wilderness. If you've read the story, eating insects and honey, it's not cool. But I think by reading about John, he would be my kind of man. I'd go and probably sit at his feet, maybe eat some locusts with him. Uh, But here John says this. He says, the next day, he, he being John, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, when I was thinking about Advent, when I was thinking about the season, this Christmas season, I landed upon this statement These words of which I'm well familiar with. I I landed on this text and I was jolted almost in a sense. I was something like, not exploded. I don't want to be, I don't want to over-dramatize what happened. But there was such a joy and goosebumps kind of, you know, that feeling, you know, like when you just feel the nearness of God or his presence or the Holy Spirit. You're just like, oh, you're here, God. You're here. And this is what happened when I read these words. Again, um, we're probably well rehearsed. We're familiar with these words all throughout the New Testament. You take the book of Revelation. I think I don't even know how many, how many times it's mentioned actually in the book of Revelations. But we're familiar with the concept of the Lamb of God. But it was the, it was, it was the part of this statement or these words that rocked me is the one who takes away the sins of the world. You know... Just a little background about the text. Um, it's helpful for me to go over these, and hopefully it's helpful for you, but most scholars find it difficult to believe that uh, at this point, uh, John the Baptist spoke these words. Um, they think, they believe that this was possibly the writer of John kind of just emphasizing uh, the nature of Christ. Um, uh, because of a later time, you find, right, that John is a little messed up about who Christ is, right? He has a little doubt, and he sends messengers back to Jesus saying, are you the one? And um, they, they find it a bit impractical that at this early in the New Testament, this early, I mean, Jesus hasn't even begun his ministry yet, that John fully grasped who Jesus was as the Messiah. Others believe, interestingly enough, this is a great take on how we interpret Scripture because there's always a mis kind of uh, or, or a, a dual kind of perception or perspective of the text. But others believe that Jesus was coming straight from the wilderness. If you're familiar with the story, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And scholars, although divided, one half says that John couldn't have known who Jesus was, and others say that, yes, he knew fully well who he was, and Jesus was coming fresh out of the wilderness to be baptized, and this is when John said these words. It's believed that, um, that John fully grasped who 
and understood fully who Jesus was as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who would take upon himself the sins of the world. Um, I, would, I would venture, or, or I, would, I would place money on maybe, just maybe, the second is truer because just seven verses later in the same chapter, John says the same words. I think it's verse 36 of chapter 1. He says the very same words. The next day after Christ was baptized, the whole dove ascends. Everything happens. The next day, Jesus, I'm sorry, John sees Jesus hanging out with two of his newly disciples. And John utters, he professes the same words about Christ. So I'm going to go with the latter. I believe it's important to go with the latter, that John wasn't absent-minded in this case of who Christ was. Many believe that, that even prior to this, that Jesus sat under the ministry of John the Baptist. Isn't that wild? I don't know if it's true, but some biblical scholars that I look up to, that I read, say it was. That Jesus, actually there was a time in Jesus' life before the wilderness that he actually um, uh, was around John Listen to John's teachings, irregardless. It doesn't really matter. The power that rests upon this proclamation of John the Baptist um, is it's powerful. It's, it, it, and, and you probably most likely aren't connecting to the same emotional things that I'm connecting to right now. But, oh man, if you would open yourself once again to the gospel... And, and, and you would think and pause upon, wow, Christ <laughs> took my sins. He took a place, ultimately, that I should have taken. These words for us, some of us here, hopefully all of us, but some of us, um, we rely upon these words. We place uh, so much, all hope, I personally, I, I, I bank it all that... This is who Jesus is, the Lamb of God who has taken away my sins and your sins. It brings great comfort and joy. And, and I pray again that all of us in that room have that same assurance. I'm not trying to assume that um, everyone here today professes the name of Christ. But man, I'm telling you, the best decision I ever made was to make Jesus, my Lord and Savior. It, it, it's not just about, uh, well, there is so much assurance that I have today that because of Christ, because of Jesus, because the Lamb of God who has taken away my sins, I don't have to experience or take on the wrath of God. And that is comforting. I don't have to worry about death. What's on the other side of life? I don't have, I don't have those worries. My, my mother is battling cancer and it is looking bleak day in and day out. But you know what? There's something so joyful happening within the family. Why? Because she's a woman of faith. She's not afraid of what's on the other side. She, in some sense, doesn't want to leave. But if this is her time, well, so be it. There's something so comforting. And I hope, I pray today that if you live without that comfort, that if you are living without that, that assurance, 
that there is life beyond the grave. Man, friend, I pray that you find it today. You know, we live in a time, unfortunately, where many um, do not understand the biblical gospel or the need for that gospel. There is such a pervasive uh, delusion in the world today. Um, you know, the, the idea is that, that we are not sinners and, and there is no need for a Savior. And if God isn't absolutely holy and just, then why do we need a Savior who died to satisfy God's wrath against us? Do you understand that that's what Jesus did? If uh, He's non-retributive and just mainly loving, then all we can take away from Jesus' life is that He was a good person who encouraged us to be good to others. He's just like a fortune cookie you crack open and get quickly inspired by the sound bite. But Jesus is more than that. And it, unfortunately, that doesn't follow the narrative or the sequence of text leading up to it. Why? Well, you take, for instance, John's teaching. Now, this is important because I have a fear today that most of the charismatic church, and we fall under that category, believe that God is mainly the second category of what I mentioned in my last statement, that He is just loving, a friend who just helps us get along in life. He's far more than that. And to really understand what John is professing here, we need to see what John the Baptist is teaching prior to that defines ultimately what we've been spared from. John, who prepared the way for Christ, preached the message of repentance. Repentance of sin. Um, You look at uh, Matthew 3.2, where his main theme was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His opening statements to the religious leaders um, that surrounded his meetings was, who warned you to escape the wrath to come? talking about Jesus. This is the forerunner, John the Baptist, the one who has now to this point preparing the way for Christ. Even within John chapter 1 verse 29, we see the same narrative of repentance in sin where he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. (laughs) So what is the main objective? What is the main Objective of Christ. It's not to be a friend. Although He is. It's remarkable. Jesus is my closest friend. He's actually close to me than some of my closest of friends. But that's not primarily what He is. Jesus is loving. God is a loving Father. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we bask in that love today. But God needed a sacrifice. He poured His own wrath upon His Son so that you and I, and hopefully those not yet to be, would escape from the wrath of God. The New Testament is full of it, church. Don't be deceived. One day, 
You, I, will answer for our lives. Do you understand that? And I wonder what our take of God will be then. The loving thing of all this is that He made a way for us to escape His wrath through His Son, Jesus. But man, if you're not professing Christ, you will bow. You will make that profession. It just may be too late. So my encouragement is if your heart is stirred, if you're near the kingdom, if you're on the verge of giving your life to Christ, do so. Do so. This is the power of God. In other words, John preached that we are all sinners, even us who are here today, and that we need a Savior, not a friend. We need to be saved. And that is really what keeps our heart sober. That's what keeps my heart sober as a believer. I'm not just professing Christ and getting on with life as I think I should and doing what I want to do. Oh, I'm not treading upon that sacrifice and reminding Jesus every day of that sacrifice because I just want to live the way I want to live. We need a Savior to atone for our sin so that we don't face the wrath of God. Is this all right? Listen, I know, I know some of us in this room wrestle with the concept of God's wrath. <laughs> but friend, you can wrestle until the cows come home. You will never be able to replace in Scripture the theme that is overwhelming within the New Testament of God's wrath. The greatest thing about God's love is that through Christ, I can't emphasize this enough, we do not have to experience that wrath. But if you're, as a believer, just thinking you can get on with life, do and live the way you want, guess what? You most likely need to question the authenticity of your decision. Let's get on. The title, The Lamb of God, again, is familiar to us, some to our detriment, some to our dismay, some to our own fault. We've come so familiar. It's used here, and again, as I mentioned in John chapter 1, verse 36, and again, to get back to the scholarly, uh, scholarly route, I think that's the way you pronounce that. Excuse me, all you intellectuals. Um, I don't mean to offend you. Um, didn't you like the apropos statement that um, uh, our good friend Christian made in Advent about talking about racism as apropos? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. And did you get his own bias with his wife? Did you get his own like connection to her being rich and wealthy? And like, well, did that just go over your head? No. <laughs> Got to lighten the the atmosphere a little bit. It's good that you're laughing. Um, but this is important because, again, like all scriptures, those who study the scriptures and consider themselves or are deemed as others as scholars debate exactly which lamb John is referring to. And it's important to understand this as we um, look at this text. In Revelations 5, 6, I'm going to just blurt out a bunch of 
text in Rev- Revelation, but in Revelations 5, 6, 9, and 12, I'm sorry, 9, um, Revelations 12, uh, 7, 17, Revelations 12, 11, 13, 8, 17, 14, 19, 7, 21 through 23, 22 through 1 through 3. Man, John really likes describing Jesus as the Lamb of God. It's a good thing. John often refers to Jesus as a Lamb of God, but he uses a different Greek word here than those in the book of Revelation. Um, I'm just going to read some things to you, so bear with me. Some think that this text is referring to the Passover lamb, whose, if you're familiar, blood spared the Israelites from the loss of their firstborns, if you're familiar with the story. Um, and, and John actually connects in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, verse 36, Jesus as being the Passover lamb. It's good news, guys. It could refer to the lambs uh, that were offered um, as morning and evening sacrifices uh, at the temple in Exodus 29, 36 through 42. Others say that it refers to the lamb of Isaiah 53, 6, who died to bear the sin of many. Irregardless of what lamb John is referring to, all of these are good. Or it could um, refer to the lamb God provided for, um, for uh, Abraham so that he wouldn't have to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22 through uh, 7 through 13. Let me just say this. It would be fitting to say all that the ancient sacrifices foreshadowed, listen, were perfectly fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ. It would be impossible, really, guys, to connect or confine uh, the sacrifice of Christ to any one of these Old Testament examples, meaning it, it kind of just overlaps that Jesus is or his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ foreshadows all of these Old Testament examples. So when we, when we want to understand just exactly what Christ being sacrificed did for us, go to scriptures like Genesis 22, 7 through 13. Go to Exodus 19, 36. Go to Exodus 29. And you can further grasp the weight of what Christ did on the cross. And you can come out of being just familiar with the story where you're caught up in awe over the story. You understand the difference? Does that make sense? God doesn't want us familiar with the story, although He does. But He wants us, our being familiar with the story, to create such wonder and awe in our hearts. Come on, I'm relying upon this story, the gospel, fueling my Christianity until Jesus returns or I die. I am placing everything that if I become dull, if I become insensitive and hard and hollow, that I will be reminded of what Christ did and I will be awakened to the core. It's not that hard. I had one just last night in the prayer room. Didn't want to be there. 
didn't want to be doing it and singing and uh. But for a moment, by the grace of God, I was brought to the text. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even my sin, right there in that moment. Oh, and my head and my heart, my body was filled with awe and wonder. I mean, you could have, I could have, I could have sang anything. I could have just... I, I, something erupted inside and the moment became real. <laughs> it wasn't just a prayer set. It was a response to the worthiness of Jesus. Today, church is just not a service. It's a response to the worthiness of Christ. <laughs> That's good. Some of us get, i got to go to church. No, you don't got to go to church. You get to go to church. Because you know what? Some people don't have that privilege to just go to church. So you don't got to go to church. You get to go to church. And friend, if you're boring, let's just, I mean, if you're bored at church, just leave that there. Because most likely, you're a boring person. Because there is nothing at all boring at all with Jesus. And if you want to be rescued from your bored state, and your apathy, you begin to think upon the Lamb of God. <laughs> the one who takes the sin of the world. And you begin to think different. I get to go to church. Not only am I going to go to church. But I'm going to go early to church. I'm going to set up some boxes. I'm going to put some speakers up. I'm going to get in the rhythm because it's all about responding. And somehow we got to snap out of Sunday is the only day. No, Sunday is not the only day. It's just a day when we get to do it with a large group of people. Every day is a, is, there's reason to respond to the gospel. There's a corny thing growing up in a Baptist church. This girl used to do on Christmas. She used to make these banners. Ugly banners. Ugliest colors. Like, you know, like, I don't even know. Like, maybe they were, they were rabbis or, I, I don't know. It certainly wasn't like John the Baptist because they were like, there was like these banners and these guys with trumpets blowing and they had like on. I don't even know how to describe it, but really corny statement that these flags would always come out during Christmas. They said, Jesus is the reason for the season. I know, I know. I'm probably touching a nerve here. I'm even nervous about it myself. <laughs> but it is true. It is true. There's, there's something. It's just not, it's not just confined to this season. It's every season. Jesus, you... You know, well, we'll stop there. Let's go to one more point. Let's consider uh, verse 29, one verse, phrase by phrase. First, let's start with the Lamb of God. I'm just going to mull over some stuff to hopefully help us further understand um, the proclamation of John the Baptist. The Lamb of God means that Jesus is the supreme and the only lamb that God has provided to take away our sins. There is no other. John also said that the one who is coming is greater than I. 
And so Jesus is supreme and there is no other. Of God means that God sent Jesus to bear our sins. He is the gift of God to us. Take John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Takes away signifies atonement. And that means by substitution. He was made sin for us. You take a verse like 2 Corinthians 5.21. He died so that the sinners who trust in him will not incur God's judgment. Um, takes away is also in the present tense, uh, signifying the ongoing, ongoing excuse me, sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice and the fact that it is available at all times for every sinner who will place their trust in him. Sin is singular. So essentially we could heap all of our sins, past, present, future, and the history of sin, um, all together in one gigantic pile, meaning that it atones for that. It also means that Jesus not only took away the guilt of our many individual sins, take a text like 1 Peter 2.24, but also the guilt of the inborn sin. This is important. The inborn sin that we inherited from Adam. If you need to be caught up on that, you look at texts like Romans 5.18. Of the world does not mean that Christ paid the penalty for every sinner who has ever lived. Let's not be deceived. Some of you don't even get that. Tune in, because then all the world would be saved. It refers to people in general, both Jews and Gentiles, not to people without ex exception. Um, as John puts it in Revelations 5, 9, you, I, hopefully all of us, purchased for God with your blood men every, from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. Of the world also points to the, um, again, the sufficiency of Christ's atonement for every person, no matter how terrible that person's sin may be. Why am I saying this? Because, again, I don't assume that everybody here is saved. And, and, and there, there ultimately can be a lot of struggle when we think, surely, if you're that person, surely God's grace can't cover my sin. It's not sufficient for my sin. And I want to say to you today, it is. It is. I'm the chief among sinners. Of the world also points to the supremacy of Christ's atonement for any person, no matter how terrible that person's sins may be. Christ invites all to come to his feasts. Remember the story in Luke 14, 16 through 24. All are invited at Christ, at, to, Christ's, to Christ's banquet. Matter of fact, I believe that Christ may be even knocking on some hearts today. And I would encourage you, if it's your heart that is being knocked, that you would open and let him in. I desire to remind us, but I also desire to see salvation. 
And although this may be awkward, I want to appeal now to those maybe who do not know Christ. And with what you've heard here this morning, and maybe, maybe what you're feeling right now in your head and in your heart, that just maybe the appropriate thing is to respond to the invitation. You see, the funny thing is, is Christ in Luke 14 invited everyone to come to his banqueting table, his feast, right? That was the rich man who is uh, represented in the text was Christ. He's like, I'm preparing a feast. Go and invite people. And you know, the sad thing about it is no, not one of the people that were invited by his servant came. And, and be it far from us this morning that if your heart is being prodded, if your heart is being provoked, if your head is being stirred, that you would respond to the gospel. Because, friend, I would never try to um, parade God's judgment, but it's real. It's it's real. It, you, you can't, as much as we try maybe, um, psychologically, because of nerves, we can't do away with it. The text is smothered, meaning the New Testament is smothered with it. But you know what? Today, if you heard that you could escape God's wrath by simply putting and placing your trust in Christ, would you do it? I did it some time ago, but you know what? The saddest thing, I spent so many years being invited to the feast and I never came. Years spent time hearing the call, never responded until suddenly that nervousness, that jittery, that prodding of the Holy Spirit filled my heart. And I said, ah, oh, I want to trust you, Jesus. By faith, I choose to believe that you died so that I could live, so that I could escape the wrath of God's judgment. Listen, well, I'm not going to be overly dramatic about this. I believe it's very simple. We respond. If you do believe here, I'd ask you to bow your heads and just begin to pray. Will, if you'd come up and play some music.